0: If your eye be full of darkness, and your whole body is dark, and how great is that darkness? And, but if your eye be full of light, then your whole body is light, right? And so that's really the objective, is to walk in the light. So I'm going to share with you a story that's real, that happened to me in 1985. And I'm going to explain how we can make everything light, and how even the darkness can be light unto us. Because that's what God says darkness is to Him. That even the darkness is light unto God. So in 1985, I'm standing at my kitchen sink. I live in Independence, Louisiana, and I'm brand new married. I got married when I was 19 years old, and I'm washing dishes, and I literally have a real vision. Like, I thought it, I didn't even know it was a vision. It was so real. I'm awake. I've got bubbles on my hands, and I'm washing dishes, looking out my window, which is facing the east. And the clouds roll back, so I'm thinking, man, we have a really bad storm or Maybe it's a tornado or something. And at that time in my life, I had a lot of dreams of tornadoes. I knew they were prophetic in some kind of way, but I couldn't figure out what they meant. And so I'm thinking, well, maybe this is one of my dreams coming true, whatever. But really, it looks more like the clouds are parting, one to the right and one to the left. And then I think, oh, my goodness, this maybe this is Jesus coming back. Like It felt like what I had heard in the stories about what rapture would look like. Well, about that time, Jesus' face appeared right in front of me. Like, it was almost like the window in itself disappeared, and I was just face-to-face with Jesus. And when I saw him, he looked like the traditional pictures of your Jewish Jesus. But then his face morphed. Now, you appear way younger than me. I'm 50. And Back in 1985, there was there wasn't terminology for the average person uh, that that we I didn't even know what the word morph meant. Like back then, max headroom wasn't, didn't even exist. You probably know who max headroom is, but when PCs first came into our home, max headroom was the first computer face, and it was just a head, you know, and it would morph into a woman's face and then a man's face and all this stuff. So I had never seen morphine before, but that's what Jesus' face did. It morphed into every tribe and tongue. Jesus went from looking like the Jewish Jesus that I recognized to a Chinese, Mexican, and white, and um, black, and just face after face of every kind of tribe and tongue that you could imagine. And then it went back to the one that I recognized. So what? A couple things I learned in that moment. I already knew that God is God to everyone, that we all really have the same God, but that he may come to us as we need to see him so that we can receive him, especially if you're a child and you're scared or whatever. Um, and I know there are people who have seen Jesus in a vision and looks just like what you know the little girl Akiana painted, that kind of thing. Um, so as Jesus' face morphs into every tribe and tongue, he says to me, I want you to see me in everything. Now, the way that he says it was a little bit odd to me, but I'm explaining it because some people misunderstand as I've shared this story in times past. He said to me, I want you to see me. He said, no, I want you to see no man except in Christ. And I thought, what does that mean? See no man except in Christ. He said, that means I want you to see me in everybody. I'm like, well, how am I going to do that? Like, how am I going to see God in Hitler? Like, that was my first thought. As I'm standing there, here I am judging one of, one of the children of God that God created that did really bad things. That my mind can't figure out. How could I, how could I imagine God loving him? Right? After he had killed all, the, all these people. Uh, or was the mastermind behind it. And so I didn't understand what he meant by see God in everything. So then after that, um, he opened up a scroll. And this, I mean, this scroll was huge. It was old. It was parchment paper. It had little um, rods at the, one rod at the top, one rod at the bottom. And he pulled and it just opened up like you would imagine in a cartoon or an old, you know, movie with Sinbad or something. I don't know. Um, but as the scroll opened, I saw Daniel, Ezekiel, Revelation. All these hidden mysteries in the Bible were so clear to me. And I can remember thinking, this is so simple. How did we not see this? When I get out of this place that I'm at, I'm going to write all this down. And I'm going to tell everyone what all these mysteries are. And I can remember so vividly, the the biggest surprise was how simple it was. So... The vision continues. A lot more stuff happens. I won't go into that right now because I'm really making a point that everything we can see God in everything. So um, I, I come out of the vision and when I do, I immediately go grab a pen and paper but I can't remember what was on the scroll. And I'm like, oh my goodness. This should not be possible for me to forget how simple it was because I was so dumbfounded at how simple the revelation was, the mysteries were. And so I asked God, I said, God, why can't I remember? He said, it's the same thing that happened in the Old Testament where God would give something to someone and he'd say, now seal it up or or close the book. In other words, God wasn't going to let me reveal it until he said I could reveal it. Even though he had revealed it to me for a moment in time and then closed it back up, it had not been given to me to reveal. And I said, well, Father, why... Why did you show it to me? He said, didn't Jesus tell you that when you see no man except in Christ, he'll open the scrolls? And I went, oh my goodness. So there's coming a time in my life, and again, I'm 19. There's coming a time in my life when I'm going to see God in everything, and then I'll begin to have the scrolls open uh, to me. Now, over the years... I've had different people prophesy to me that didn't know me from Adam. I'd never seen them, Probably hadn't even seen him a, a second time. But they would say things like, God's going to unveil mysteries to you about the bride. Now, this is back in the 80s and 90s before anybody started singing about intimacy or talking about the bride. And even if they did try to talk about it, it was taboo. And you surely didn't read Song of Solomon because that was too provocative, right. right? Okay. And so God began talking to me in 1987 about intimacy, and he was correlating the marriage with man, a man and a woman, to Christ and his bride, which is talked about by Paul in, in Ephesians chapter 5. And so, um, when God first began talking about it, was, I was like, mm I'm not, Lord, I, I'm, that sounds creepy to me. I don't want to talk about it. Well, that reminded me of my son. Now it reminds me of my son when he first found out where babies came from. He said to me, um, Mama, are you and Daddy going to have any more babies? And I said, well, no, son, as a matter of fact, we're not. Mama got really sick, and I actually had Bell's palsy the last time when I gave birth. And I said, so Mama's not, Mama Daddy's not going to have any more babies because I might, would go crippled and, you know, um, not be able to function. So we're, we're not going to have any more. And he said, oh, good, then you never have to do that again. <laughs> so he thought it was creepy. So I can liken myself Until when God began speaking to me in mysteries, I couldn't hear because my my childlike perception um, spiritually couldn't handle the allegories, if you will, between man and woman. Well, now that's what I teach on. And most people come to me uh, first in the couple. The woman will come first. On occasion, it's the man. But mostly it's the woman that comes first. And we work in her area of her heart. Help her to heal, and then that woman goes home, and the and the husband goes like, "What happened to you?" And then they'll want to help because they begin to see changes that they like. Now I will tell you this: men also at some point will begin to see changes they don't like. So why would that even happen? Well, let's just take my case for example. I was codependent, and Michael was in control, and so. As long as I was codependent, he could make me walk on eggshells very very well. And I would even do a little dance for him. Like, however he wanted me to walk, that's how I would walk. Because, you know, my greatest fear was being rejected. Well, when I was no longer codependent, he couldn't do that anymore. I didn't need his approval. Why? Because I had my Heavenly Father's approval. And when I had my Heavenly Father's approval, no matter how much he tried to make me scared or how much anger he manifested... Or whatever I wasn't intimidated by it I didn't like it but I wasn't moved by it anymore because when perfect love comes it casts out all fear so did I stand up to my husband yes I did and did he have to respond yep and he didn't like his responses at first because he couldn't do what he used to do so sometimes that'll happen to the husband when I'm working with the wife And I'll tell the husband, well, no wonder you're upset. You can't control her anymore and you feel out of control. Would you like her to be your slave again? And they're like, well, no. Do you want her skin to crawl when you touch her? No. Do you want her to check out in her mind when you think y'all are making love and she's just hoping you'll hurry up and get done? Do you want that to keep happening? And they're like, well, no. I'm like, then trust me and let your wife heal And then you can heal too. Because none of this behavior is healthy. And the only reason it was working for you before is because you didn't even know it existed. And she was trying to survive and keep the marriage together. And so she was living a lie because she was scared of you leaving her. Well, guess what? When the woman's no longer scared of anything, why? Because she has the perfect love of Christ. Then... That leaves the husband in a very vulnerable situation that he's going to have to contend with. So sometimes husbands don't like it. But I tell people, well, you can go back into slavery if you like, or you can be free. Now, I'm not saying divorce anyone. I'm not for divorce. Um, If someone's being abused or sexually abused, physically abused, I'm totally against abuse. And what I tell women in that situation is get out of the abuse. Don't divorce him. But if he wants help, he'll get it. If not, he'll divorce you. And then the Bible says, if you're married to a non-believer and he wants out, let him go. So um, either way, the woman's going to get help, meaning she's going to get out of the abuse if she can hear and is healthy and start making healthy choices for herself to no longer be a part of her own abuse. Um, So let's go back to the vision and seeing no man except seeing that person in Christ. So how do you see God in everything? Well, let me put it to you this way. In everything that's created, everything really does mean everything. There's duality. There's male and female. There's seen and unseen. There's heaven and earth. There's inside, outside, north, south, east, west. Everything has a polarity. Now, in polarity, that means there's a negative and a positive. So... We typically think anything negative is the devil, but God says in Isaiah 45, I, the Lord God, form light and I create darkness. I, the Lord God, make good and evil. I do all these things. So, okay, that's pretty creepy too. So what do you mean, God? Like you created evil. And so what is that? Well, actually that word created means feeds you evil. It doesn't mean um, like developed it so what know, he feeds it to you. So what is darkness and what is evil? Evil is an absence of God's presence or not really his presence because he's omnipresent. It's the absence of, of, of being conscious of God. So it's unconsciousness of God. That's what evil is. So you have consciousness and unconsciousness. So when you're When you're unconscious of God, evil can abound. Okay? Light and dark. What did God created that? It says he formed light and created darkness. So what does that mean? He formed light means he squeezed it out. And he created darkness means he feeds it to you. So how does God squeeze out light? The same way your eyeballs do. Your pupil has muscles and it squeezes out the light. Why? Because too much light and you'll be blind. And then the earth, God's creation, feeds you darkness. So how does God feed us darkness? Take this blanket that's the color green or appears the color green. It's actually not green. It's actually every other color except green. So what is it doing? The fabric absorbs every light ray being emitted from the outside light and the artificial light in this room, or light bulbs in this room. It's absorbing all the light rays Except for yellow and blue combined in this perfect combination to have this color of lime green. So that lime green bounces off and goes into your eyes. And when it goes in, that's the word feed. So you're a receiver and you receive your sight by receiving a measure of light. So see, you received an absence. Are you received? You're not conscious of all the other other colors in this blanket are you you're not conscious of it so that's evil we think of evil as like ooh the devil right our darkness as bad and and that's got a measure of truth in it but it's not the only truth and so when we can see god in all things then even the darkness becomes light unto us just like this green blanket is darkness that actually appears as green. Does that make sense? It's deep. Okay, so how do we do that? Let's take, for example, um, I'll use a really bad example because it's easy to explain. Let's take a person who's been raped. Let's take a young girl. Let's say she's 12 and she gets raped at 12. One of the ways that I'll use that darkness to open her eyes so that she can be healed and see light is I will have her go in that memory. She won't give me any details, not a single detail. I know what rape is. I know enough about it. I don't need any details, right? So I'll have that person, and if, you, if you're listening to this and this happened to you, do this right now as I'm saying it, and you actually can heal. So I'll have her lay in a comfortable place. I'll anoint her feet with oil, anoint her head with oil, her shoulders with oil. I'll lay my hands on her and I'll have her go into that memory and I'll say, just look around the room. What colors are there? Can you remember the temperature? Is it daylight or is it dark? Um, and then I'll have them go into the emotion and feel what it felt like to not be able to move, not be able to move your legs, not be able to move your arms, I have them feel what the remember, remember the feeling of not being able to breathe holding your breath or the pressure on your body or the weight of another person. And then I have them remember their confusion and their fear. And then I'll bring them to the point where they remember their heart shutting down. Like your heart just has to shut down and check out to survive the moment. And when that happens, typically I'll get a vision. Um And then I'll begin describing that vision. So I'll describe one that I've already had. When this was happening, I saw Jesus swoop in and he had wings. I know that technically he didn't have wings, but that's what I saw. So that's what I said. I saw him swoop in and just dive into that little girl's heart and swoop her little spirit and envelop it and put her under the shadow of his wing. And a shadow feels dark, don't it? And so I said, do you remember how dark it felt? And she said, yes. And so I said, I want you to look up in the corner of the room where Jesus has your little heart, your little spirit, wrapped and protected under the cover of his wing, and your body is being abused, but your little heart, when it shut down, that's what you were feeling. You were feeling God as he encapsulated it with a callus, just like you get a callus on your hand to be protected. So God was protecting your heart while your body was being abused. Your body's temporary but your spirit is eternal. And so when that individual saw Christ do that, I said, now Jesus wants to take you somewhere. Are you willing to go? And the young woman said, yes, I am. So Jesus took her to the cross. And they sat down at the foot of the cross and looked up. And Jesus said to her, do you see my feet? How I can't move them? The little girl said, yes. Do you see my hands, how I can't move them? Yes. Do you know why I asked my father to do that? No. I asked my father to do that because when you were being held down and you couldn't move your arms and you couldn't move your feet, I asked my father to do the same thing to me. And you see how you couldn't breathe? Remember how you you couldn't breathe, it was hard for you? Yes. Look how hard it was for me to breathe. I had to push up on those nails so I could breathe. And I asked my father to do that too. Do you see me now as I cry out? Allah, Allah, lama sabachthani. Do you know what that means? No. What it means is, Daddy, Mama, Daddy, God, why are you betraying me? Why have you forsaken me? Do you remember how you felt when your daddy did that to you? How you felt betrayed and how betrayed you felt when Mama didn't protect you? Yeah. That's how I felt on the cross. And I asked my Father to let me feel that. Because if not, then I couldn't know your heart and you would be alone. And long ago when that happened to you, you thought you were alone. But I've never left you. I've never forsaken you. I've always been with you. I've been with you before time began. Before you were ever formed, I was with you. And by bringing you through a memory like that, with all your emotions present, what happens is your amygdala now has the answer that it's been searching for ever since that traumatic day. What answer? God, where were you when this happened to me? And when that's answered, that little girl's heart heals and feels loved and accepted and honored in a way that it never felt her entire life. Now, if that amygdala doesn't get shifted and it stays in... God wasn't there for me. If God loved me, why'd he let it happen? If, how, could, how could a man or a daddy do this? What's wrong with me? It must be my fault. Or any of that combination of thoughts is in the amygdala. That little girl is going to keep drawing people to her, because whatever you believe you shall have, she'll keep drawing men in her life that will abuse her. One after the other. Or the same man Who will abuse her and apologize and abuse her and apologize and abuse her and apologize. And abuse doesn't have to be rape from a spouse or other men. It could just be men that don't value her. So that will continue to happen until the belief in her mind changes that I am loved. I am valued. I am not what I believed when that terrible thing happened. That is a fact, but that's not the whole truth. And what is it that sets us free? It's truth. And that's how you find light in a dark place. And when you find light in darkness, you are free. And that's when even the darkness has become light unto me.